This is Discussions on the Firewater Network, where we talk to those crafting the future of the spirits industry. And now, here's your host. This is Zachary Farley. Today, I'm speaking with an expert in the field of getting craft spirits noticed. We're going behind the scenes of what it takes to grab a customer's attention and move small labels into bigger market share. As opposed to our usual in-person interviews, this interview is being conducted over Skype. So again, please excuse any audio abnormalities that might come up. With that said, I'd like to welcome my guest, Tony Bagnulo. Tony, thanks for joining me today. Uh, thanks for having me. Greatly appreciated. Uh, it's my pleasure. So Tony, tell me about your company. What do you do for alcohol brands? Yeah, so I'm with uh, B33 Marketing, a um, company I founded. I uh, kind of refer to ourselves as a, as a marketing collective uh, and a brand incubator. Basically, what we do is provide big brand spirits expertise to boutique, independent craft uh, spirits and, and, and beer, basically it in a nutshell. Oh, very cool. Just out of curiosity, what do you mean by a collective? What are you trying to highlight by calling it a collective as opposed to an agency or something like that? Well, it's kind of interesting because the, the way we work we try to keep our overhead very, very low, given given who we're working with. So I have partnerships with people across multiple disciplines, people that kind of work somewhat independent, similar to, to the way I work. I've got designers, I've got brand strategists, I've got social media guys, you know, I've got accounts that I work with, I've got you know, mixologists that I work with at, on a national level. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't have anybody on payroll other than myself, and we kind of bring the right people to the table when the uh, when the right client comes along. So that's kind of kind of how how we do it, more so than having a big agency with brick and mortar walls. So that's kind of kind of how we operate. Right. So it gives you a lot of flexibility. You don't have to be well. We offer the services that we have on staff, and don't ask me to go beyond that. <laughs> you can really bring in people. Yep, as the client requires. Exactly. Exactly. It also allows us to kind of just bring fresh thinking to the table versus going to the same creative people or the same social media people over and over and over. You know, we can really be selective about who we bring to the table to make sure that it's the right cultural fit for the personalities that we work with or the brands that we're working with. So, you know, it's a, and it's a fun way to work. It keeps us on our toes for sure. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah. So just a little bit of history. How did you get into alcohol brand consulting? I didn't get to major in that in college. My university didn't offer it. Um, how did you kind of get involved with it? That's kind of interesting. I've been in the beer, well, primarily, well, beer and spirits, primarily spirits, marketing and sales universe for almost 15 years now. About, you know, about 15 years ago, my brother-in-law uh, was starting a beer import company. He came over to dinner at my parents' place and he said he was starting a beer import company. I jokingly said, when do I start? <laughs> he called me two days later and said, well, you were a bartender and you waited tables and you know a lot of people in Atlanta. Hmm. You want to sell beer for a living? And I said, why not? How hard could that be? <laughs> so we did that for about two years, and that was the catalyst to me getting into this this universe. Oh, very cool. Yeah, it's been a great career. It's been a lot of fun. Where did you go from there then after you, after you were done with selling? kind of Where, where does that take you after that? What, what, what kind of got you prepared to be a real consultant for brands? Well, so from there, after we kind of kind of wrapped up the, the beer import company, I actually started really getting into the promotion side of the things on, on the spirit side. Uh, work for some big agencies with some big suppliers, uh, doing everything from promotions to ambassador management to doing experiential tours and marketing. Uh, I've kind of been in an interesting place in my career where I've been in that place between marketing and sales. So I have a good sense of what brands are trying to do and what actually happens on the street. I've done that for big companies like MKTG, working on the on the Diageo 
side of uh, of the business. I've managed brands like Johnny Walker with their Masters of Whiskey program. Did similar things with Bacardi. I used to work with Sydney Frank Importing on Jägermeister. I was their head of on-premise marketing there. And then about uh, four months ago, I had an opportunity to kind of get out on my own. And I started talking to some craft guys. And the more I learned, the more I realized there's an opportunity to kind of get in there and provide this big brand thinking and just basic blocking, tackling marketing expertise to, to some of the craft guys and doing it in a way that, that is going to going to help push them along. So yeah, so I've been, been marketing spirits and selling beer and selling spirits for, for quite a while now. So what are some of the things uh, that potential clients may not realize that you can do for their brands? You said that you're, you're kind of straddled between selling and marketing. You know, you do more than just write copy and create slogans and hangers off of bottles and things. Uh, but what are the other less apparent value adds that you, you can really bring to a label or that other marketing strategists can really bring to a label? Sure. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And kind of the way we work when we talk about being a marketing collective is is we can really be that one-stop shop from literally from liquid and bottled <laughs> development and design right through to POS and packaging design to brand strategy to actual brand representation. So we can actually get people on the ground in accounts pushing your brands. So that's kind of kind of one thing that we're, we're focusing on. For us, it's not just about saying we're going to do this one thing and do it really, really well. I think given the need in, in craft spirits and in craft beer as well, you know, having that person that can do everything super nuts is, is really, really what we do. We've been working with a few brands and we're starting to think, okay, how can we actually start pushing this product in market and get in the trenches with these with these brands? So that brand representation thing, you know, being in an account, in and out of accounts day in, day out is is something that we that we're starting to focus on. Just being so end to end soup to nuts, you know, really, when is the right time to for a brand to reach out to you? Ideally, you, you know, should should someone get to you, call you up as they're just beginning to think, oh, I think I might want to start a new bourbon line, or should they wait to call you once they have uh, ten thousand cases of unsold vodka? Like, I don't know what to do with this. No one's buying it. <laughs> you know, I'm sure you've heard them all. I'm sure you've gotten calls on at at all stages. But for you, ideally, you know, when should someone really start thinking about bringing in someone with your services? It depends on the brand. It depends on the situation. I mean, we actually, uh, I'm actually speaking with someone on, on Sunday about, about starting from. Wait, hold on, hold on. Let me stop you right there. Sorry. Hear that, everyone? He works on Sundays. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, That's it's a dedicated a person business. right there. It's the booze business 24 <laughs> <laughs> 7. So, sorry to interrupt you. That's all right. But yeah, meeting with someone uh, this Sunday who, you know, they kind of have a, a nugget of an idea. They don't know what they want to do from a liquid perspective. They don't know what they really want to do from a brand perspective. So we're hoping to partner with them from brand inception right through the brand representation. Wow. So that's, you know, that's ideal. That's great. It's a great opportunity to develop a long-term partnership. But we can really pulse in and out at any step of the process. You know, we can come in. We do have a few folks that we're working with right now where they've kind of got some momentum and they're really kind of getting you know, head of steam up and they're just not quite sure how to get to that next level and, and what it's going to take from a marketing plan perspective to get to that, that next level. So we've kind of jumped in and helped them write a plan, help them develop a plan to get to that next level. So we can kind of run in, in and out at any, any part of the stage. But obviously for us, if we can get in at the outset and be a long-term partner with folks, that's, that's great for us. We can do that for sure. Okay, so yeah, so people should never be afraid that it's too late in the process to give you a call. You're you're there for any for any emergency or for at the very beginning. Just you can bring a value add at just about any stage. Absolutely, and and you know one of the things that we've talked about with a couple of our partners is you know if you're if you've been in a market for a while and you're trying to get that that momentum as you know let's deploy a quick reaction force that can go in there and and really push your brands along. 
Um, so we've talked about that. We can do that as well. So like I said, we kind of do do it all and we, we're more than happy to work with anybody given where they are for sure. You know, really kind of help uh, someone who's just getting started. They know they want to get into craft distilling. They know that it's going to cost a lot of money to find a location, buy a still, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars right there, go through the long permitting process. Mm-hmm. Why does marketing need to be a priority for a new brand? You know, you think about all the other overhead that they're thinking about. You know, why does marketing need to be something that's also on that first checklist of things that a new person, a new distiller or a new alcohol brand needs to prioritize? That's a great question. Honestly, we have this conversation a lot. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, a lot of the people that I talk to and that, that I've worked with, they're at that 12-month, 18-month period, and they're just now realizing that they okay. <laughs> invest, invest a ton in marketing. Not, not a ton in marketing, but that they have to have a specific marketing plan and a specific sales and marketing initiative. And when you look at, at spirits, you know, obviously, it, it's two things. It's, it's the product, and it's having a great product and great liquid. It's the packaging, of course, that, that, that's holding that great liquid. And the other side is the marketing. What are you doing with your brand, with consumers, when you're not there hand-selling it? You know, it's, it's a very competitive landscape out there. You know, I always tell people it's, there's good news and bad news. The good news is that there's going to be 700 micro distilleries in the U.S., uh, I think, within the next three months. And the bad news is there's going to be 700 micro distilleries <laughs> yeah, in, right. in the U.S., in the next three months. It's going to be so, a lot of options. Even even if you convince someone to go in and buy craft, right? Don't buy from the big brands. Go in and try a small label. Okay. Oh, great. There's 700 options for me to choose from. Exactly. And, and your spirits in particular, it, it plays a very unique place in people's lives. You know, it's unlike any consumer packaged good. You know, you have to have that functional and emotional connection with your consumers. You have to tell them your story. You have to do it in a way that is going to be relevant to your brand and relevant to the consumer's lifestyle. I meet a lot of people that are 18 months in and their their attitude 18 months ago was, if I build it, they will come. Mm-hmm. And now they're realizing, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got to get out there and push it. I got to do it in a way that's going to obviously not break the bank, but do it in a way that's going to help push my brand along. Um, and it's, it's an integral part of, of any any brand, I think. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you hear it all the time. People saying, well, I'm, I just make the best product in the world. You know, I make the best bourbon. People will just find me. But it's a lot more, a lot more complicated than that. <laughs> yeah. And very few craft distillers say I make a mediocre right. bourbon. So, yeah. <laughs> if you say that, you definitely need to hire a marketer. Then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Call me today. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So you've convinced me, you know, I've just started up my new distillery. I, I realize I need to make marketing a priority from the outset. What do I need to look for to make sure my marketer and I, my consultant and I are a good fit? What should a producer look for when trying to find the right person to hire? And, and you know, I'm sure on the flip side, you look for the same thing yourself. What do you look for to make sure that the brand is going to be a good fit for your services? Yeah, you know, I think on both sides, given given just the personal connection that people have with their brands and with what they're doing, it's got to be a good cultural fit. It's got to be a good personal fit. You got to have somebody. I mean, I, I work with people and they literally bring me into their homes and they yeah. literally introduce me to their families and they tell me everything. You're, you're talking about a lot of people who've basically invested their life savings and you know, 12 months of work, 24 hours a day to, to get this product, you know, in the bottle and on the shelf. So having somebody that, that you trust that you can bring into the into the fold is is key and somebody that you click with on a personal basis. 
because I mean, you spend a lot of time with people. <laughs> right. <laughs> you start doing you know, in-market initiatives. If you're seeing accounts all day, you're, you're riding around with somebody for 12 hours. So you got to really be able to, to get along with them. And quite frankly, that is something that I look for. You know, I look for people that I, I like to work with. I look for people that have a passion for their brands and have a passion for the business. They're not just in it to, to, to make a little bit of money and, and sell out, uh, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with making some money. I hope we all make money. Yeah. And I think the other thing for me that I look for, quite frankly, is as a brand that a brand and a group that has a story, right? That has something that I can latch onto and that I can build out from. You know, I have talked to a lot of people where, you know, they kind of have this nugget of an idea and they kind of have this idea of a product that they want to push out. And then you start talking to them and kind of like, man, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so for me, having somebody that, that has that personal connection, somebody that I like to work with, somebody that, that loves doing this for the passion of it, that's, mm-hmm. that's pretty important to me. Well, see, I, th- I think you've given me a great segue to my next question, which is someone calls you, they realize they need a marketer, they want to bring someone on. What are some things that a producer needs to have sorted out before going out and engaging you? How do they maximize their time with you? What are some of the preliminary questions that you're going to ask them in your first meeting that they need to have available? You know, is it do they need to have their backstory set correctly and, and be able to pitch that themselves quickly. Right. What are some of those questions that they need to have prepared in their minds before they go in and talk to you to make sure you can really maximize the value that you're bringing to them? It's really all over the place. And quite frankly, some people know a little bit about what they want to do and some people know a ton. Um, you know, some things that just kind of help me get a sense of, of where they want to go is, you know, what is your story? Why are you doing this? Why are you getting into this? What is your personal story around the brand and how are you connected with the brand? And if you're not personally connected with the brand, what is that, that story about your brand that's going to kind of get people excited? And if they don't know that, we can help out with that. Then there's those other things. So what are those four or five functional differentiating points that you're going to want to communicate to your target consumer quickly, succinctly? So what's actually going to differentiate you from a product perspective versus the 60 other gins that I'm looking at on the shelf right now? Right. Oh, yours says Juniper in it. Okay. Yeah. What else you got? <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And, and you know, once we get that, and, and you know, the other thing that I ask people is, what are your goals? What are your long-term, your short-term, long-term goals? Either just anecdotally or from a sales perspective, do you want to be the biggest brand in, in the city? Do you want to be a regional brand? Do you want to be a national brand? What are your volume goals? You know, really kind of getting a sense of where they want to be. You know, I talk to people, they just want to be the biggest brand in Northeast Georgia. Great, we can help you out with that. Now I talk to other people that say, you know what, I want to be the next Tito's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, well, we can help you out with that too. Okay. Um, but really having a sense of what your goals are and where you want to be, you know, year one, year four, year 10. Mm-hmm. You know, from there, we can, we can really start flushing things out. Oh, that's great insight. This is a bit more specific question than what we've talked about so far, but it's something that at least interests me a lot. I can only imagine the difficulty of like package design. You know, it's it, the bottle, the label. If you've never run a print ad, if no one has any other connection with your brand whatsoever, that bottle and that label is the thing that's sitting there on the shelf. And ultimately, it's going to catch, you know, it's the thing that has to catch the eye of the consumer. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of new brands really struggle with do I do a custom bottle? Do I not do a custom bottle? You know, it's $200,000 to get a mold, Right. do your own run of glass. You know, I talked to a lot of distillers who really, yeah, it was, it was a big decision. Some people say, was it worth it? Was it not worth it? it you know, in, in hindsight, it, if you're successful, it was completely worth it. Um, <laughs> where do you kind of come down on that? How much of that weigh into an early budget for someone? You know, do you see a lot of benefit in doing custom bottle runs? It depends uh, on so many factors. First of all, you touched on cost. Can you afford to do that out of the gate? 
a lot of the guys I speak with can't. You also look at the fact there's so many awesome bottles out there that bottle manufacturers can make. So for me, if you have a very distinct story that you're trying to tell and you have to have a custom bottle that is shaped this way and you're going to be at a price point where you're going to still be able to make money yeah. <laughs> um, uh, after you invested in that that $4 bottle or whatever it costs every single time, then I would say, sure, go for it. But for me, quite frankly, there are a lot. It's personal preference. It's a preference of the distiller. It's obviously tied back to what your brand strategy is, what your marketing strategy is, and what you want to be as a brand. But there's so many awesome bottles out there. I can Obviously, the other thing you have to think about is, okay, you have this custom bottle and you're a 3,000 case brand. Awesome. Well, I'm sure you want to be a 10,000 case brand and then you want to be a 40,000 case brand. Can your custom bottle manufacturer keep up with that? Are you going to be shooting yourself in the foot from a, just a production perspective because you've got this handcrafted bottle that, that takes so long to make or is so expensive? No, that's a very good point. I, I never really thought about that. You know, I always imagine bottle makers being able to just do a run anytime you need it, but that's a great point. You have to really build in the lead time to get that bottle. And sometimes you get that magical order that's like, great, we'll take 20,000 cases. And it's like, uh-oh, <laughs> I only right. have 500 bottles left or something. The other thing when you start thinking about just bottle design in general is is just the functional side of things. So you have this awesome bottle and maybe it's wider than it is deep. And then you take it to a, a retailer and he says, you know, I don't want to give you that much shelf space. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> um, Your bottle's you know, three I, feet wide. What do you want? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, you're actually going to be taking up two spaces here when I want you to take up one. Uh-huh. And same thing on the back bar. You know, you have the Crown Royal effect where you go into a crowded bar and can't find Crown Royal because it's turned sideways. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and then the functional side of things is, is that awesome bottle that you made, is that something that a bartender is going to want to pick up 30 pounds a night and pour from? You know, just those types of things. I think you, you have to take into account in addition to the in addition to the functional side of things. Um, if you got the money, yeah. <laughs> and those things don't matter to you, go for it. But you know, I think it's, it's something that you really got to think about for sure. Yeah, and don't just dismiss what a large bottle maker may have in stock. They stock more than just the generic, uh, absolutely tall bottles or square bottles or squat bottles. There's they have so much more available to you. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's some awesome things out there. And for me, and maybe this is the next part of the question, it's, it's about the label more than the bottle. Yeah, that's where I was going next. Good uh, ESP there. Yeah. For me, you know, label is king. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. It's, yeah. It's, it's the functional side of things. You know, if you look at it, is that label, you know, if you're looking at a back bar and a dark bar and you're in front of the bar and the back bar is six feet away, are you going to be able to see that bar, see that, that label? Is that label really saying something awesome about your brand? Uh, is it going to pop on the shelf in a very crowded retail outlet? You know, what are you really trying to communicate? Is it actually premium? If you're going for premium, those types of things, they go a long way. Obviously, that, that you know, having a certain amount of contrast so people can actually see it. Uh, just basic principles of label design, I think, are oftentimes quite frankly overlooked. And I think uh, I think that that's key. And getting somebody in that is a expert in label design, yeah, uh, and, and knows that is crucial. Yeah, because I think so many people think, oh, I, I really want this really unique model. And maybe they do kind of forget. No, it's actually the label that's going to grab someone's attention. Exactly. Yeah, especially on a crowded shelf. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so let me ask you this question then. So if a brand is already launched and they're not quite seeing the results they want, can they make changes to their label design, to their bottle design to try to differentiate themselves a little bit? You know, once you've launched, can you really make changes in the way you are being presented? Sure. Sure. And, you know, it depends on where you are, I think, from a volume and life cycle perspective. Obviously, the further down you go, the the harder it is to change. I have seen some brands have a lot of success just by 
picking another bottle and redesigning their label. I have seen a few kind of get a decent uptick just based on the fact that they brought in a really good designer to, to really kind of polish up their their bottle. So it can be done. Obviously, you have to deal with PTB and cola and all those all those fun government things anytime you do that. So don't try to change it every week. The paperwork alone will kill you. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And also, you know, just think about why you're doing it. You know, is it a cost thing? Is it because you're trying to reposition your brand? I think that it can be done. You know, obviously, the further down you go, the more challenging it gets for sure. Well, kind of switching gears here. So you have your product, it's out there, it's in the bottle, it's labeled, you know, you're, you're in some key accounts, you want to see some growth. You know, from a brand ambassador perspective, in your opinion, how important is it for the distiller or the founder to really get out in front and meet customers, to leave the still behind and get out there in public? Do you, do you see good receptions when that happens, when, when the distiller really goes out and meets with key accounts? Do you think that kind of helps move product? Absolutely. And this is actually, for what it's worth, this is one of my favorite topics. Okay. Well. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't get into it specifically, but I've actually spent the bulk of my career managing brand ambassadors. I manage all the brand ambassadors for Diageo for quite a while. 52 brand ambassadors. Manage a bunch for Bacardi and Bacardi USA as well and, and Jägermeister. So brand ambassadors is something that, that is very near and dear to my heart. They're, they're, they're a very important part of, of the business universe these days. And I think, you know, when you look at the competitive advantage that a craft distiller has is being an actual person that actually makes the product and can go out and spend time at a general sales meeting or doing a tasting or doing an event, you know, that one-on-one connection with somebody and talking about your brand and saying, oh, by the way, I'm the guy that made it <laughs> is absolutely huge. Um, when you talk about developing that emotional connection, that personal connection between the distillery, the product and the consumer, it's a slam dunk. And it's something that, that, that uh, I think should be done a lot. And I think it's something that, that is, is overlooked. I think the challenge, obviously, of course, is you're a distiller and you got to distill product. <laughs> right. And <laughs> it's, a, it's like you said, it's a 24 7 job just making product, hopefully exactly. to just to keep up with demand. Exactly. Exactly. And it is tough. And you talk about getting out there and seeing accounts and going on rides with and going to general sales. And that takes a lot of time. And if you're doing that, you're not distilling product. And, and if you're distilling product, you're not out in accounts. So, you know, how can you actually, uh, you know, get that spirit of the distiller, that spirit of the, of the distillery out there at scale? That's the tricky part and how, how, how you can balance your, just all the things that you have to do as a distiller is, is crucial. But I think it's invaluable as much as you can do it. And as comfortable as you are, and quite frankly, I do talk to a lot of distillers that say, I didn't get into this. I got into this because I wanted to make product. I didn't get into it because I wanted to go schmooze bartenders or host presentations. And there's a certain art to doing that. You know, just because you can make really good product doesn't mean that you're really good at engaging folks. But if you can do it, it is like, you know, it's it's absolutely, absolutely invaluable. And you can just see people's eyes light up, whether it's a distributor sales guy or a bartender or a consumer when they're actually talking to the person that built the stills, that fermented the grain, right. that actually ran the stills. That is that is a big deal. It's a huge deal. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and, you know, college me drank a bit too much Jägermeister, I'm not happy to say, but I never <laughs> met Mr. Jägermeister. You know, yeah, like I, 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 there's, there are brands that I know of, there are brands that I drank, sure. um, but I, I would never hope to meet whom, you know, whoever the master distiller of that even is. But yeah, I think you're right. That, that is the thing that really separates a craft brand and, and creates that emotional connection Yep. Every time you see that bottle in the store, then you can, you might remember, oh, I met the guy who made it. Yeah, I'll grab another bottle of it. Yeah, but absolutely. you know, I, I guess, but from you know, then from another perspective, as you were saying, one of the services 
that you can provide and, and other people in your industry can provide if, if that distiller just can't get away or you know can't go 15 states over <laughs> to represent their brand at a new account you can help find the right brand ambassador that can really connect that brand to the consumers who can be an extension of the distillery what do you look for what should a distiller look for as they look to bring sales staff on you know what what are, what are some things you look for to make sure that it's the right person to really represent that brand it's tricky and finding good brand ambassadors is is one of the toughest things you can do i mean i think the most important thing is finding somebody that is going to embody the spirit of your brand and your distillery and is going to be a genuine reflection of the culture of your distillery because if you don't they're just going to be a, another sales guy <laughs> right <laughs> in market so finding somebody that you think you know, has that it factor, can connect with people, but is going to either have an existing or develop a passion for your product. They have to love it as much as you do. They have to live it, breathe it. You know, we talk about spirits being a 24-7 industry. You know, when you hire a brand ambassador, every time they leave the house, they should be your brand and they should walk into every account and be your brand. And every time they go out, whether it's on their own time or on the company dime, they should be living and breathing your brand. So finding people, and it's, it's tough to put in writing. Right. <laughs> and it's a tough thing yeah. to... Job to, description, to, be the brand, yeah. But yeah, exactly. But when you see it, you know it. You know, And sometimes you see it and you're like, Man, I think if I get this guy and I really get him up to the distillery and I get him immersed, he's really going to take off. You know, Being able to, to find those people who are the that kind of diamond in the rough <laughs> right. and and bringing them into the fold and, and making them uh, an ambassador your brand is is key. And you, know, you look at you look at kind of how brand ambassadors started. You know, if you go back 15 years ago, almost 20 years ago now and Johnny Walker was doing tastings. It was basically they they brought distillers over from Scotland. They brought a gentleman who's a, a legend in the industry named Evan Cadnack and they brought him over from Scotland and and they had him do tastings and they realized he's only one person. So we got to hire more people that are like him and we got to have him be, you know, the mentor to these people and then that became the Masters of Whiskey program and then pretty much every other brand ambassador network has has tried to replicate that. And so if you can do that and if you can get some scale behind that spirit of your distillery and that spirit of of the distiller himself then then you're certainly onto something. And it once again creates that emotional connection and that one-on-one engagement between your brand and your consumers, for sure. Hmm. I felt like brand ambassador was a relatively new position or new title, and I didn't realize that's where it came from, from Johnny Walker. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Very cool. So we've talked a lot about how to scale, how to find that right connection, how to do some foundational work when you're just getting started. From your own experience, if you don't mind my asking, and you know you, you don't disclose any names, of course, or anything, <laughs> <laughs> what do you see as kind of some common problems that brands just keep doing? And you just want to grab them and say, stop doing it. What are some words of advice you see just things keep repeating themselves? You know, I think there's really three things. And I think the one thing is having a plan. You know, and, and, and working against that plan. So if you want to sell 3,000 cases this year, how are you going to do that? You know, how many accounts does that mean you need to hit? And how much POS do you need to invest in? What is that 12-month plan from a marketing perspective to get out there and, and actually do it? You know, I talked to a lot of people there. I've thrown so much at the wall. I've bought t-shirts and we've done tastings and we've done this and we've done that. We've got a guy hitting every single account in the city and, and we're just not getting that traction. But to me, it's about having that plan. That's going to take you from point A to point B and then point B to point Z eventually. Having a plan for success is absolutely crucial. What is your POS plan? What is your PR plan? Who's managing your social media? How are you actually getting out there in market? Are you actually getting out there in the trenches and seeing accounts every day? Which is absolutely crucial because you going in there one week and saying they bought some cases and they got us on the back bar. 
is awesome. But then next week, <laughs> someone else is going to come in there and want to do the same thing. So really having a plan and really having feet on the street and, and sticking to that plan is crucial. My two hot button issues, those things that kind of make me want to grab someone and tell them, please stop or, or POS. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and we say POS, I'm sorry, uh, I think point of sale. I don't know why. What, what do you mean by uh, POS? So, yeah, so those, those point of sale items, so your self sheets and your shelf talkers and your case cards and your posters and, and all those things, you know, you have a, you've spent 18 months developing this product, 12 months de- developing this product. You've got an awesome bottle, an awesome label. You're very proud of this product. Your knuckles are bloody because you, you know, you spent all last night fixing some valve on your column still. And, you know, and then you're going out there and market and you're selling your brand with, you know, something that you printed off of the, uh, uh, the copier. In okay. The <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you know, having you know really paying attention to all those details from a marketing perspective, uh, making sure that everything you do is reflective of all the awesome work that you've done on your product is is key, and it also does a lot of heavy lifting for you and selling your product if you do it right. And then social media—that's another hot button issue. You know, social media—it can do a lot of a lot of good things for you, and it can do a lot of bad things for you. Right. Okay. <laughs> so, so, you know, having a a conscious approach to social media is absolutely huge. You know, if you have, let's say you have 3,000 followers on Facebook or 3,000 likes on Facebook, every time you post something, you're saying something about your brand to 3,000 people and you're communicating your brand to someone on their phone when they're at home or in a bar and you're saying something good, bad or indifferent about your brand every time you post something. So really being conscious about how you do that is absolutely, absolutely crucial for sure. Just like you said, people, you know, a lot of people get into distilling or making wine or, or any alcohol business because, you know, they want to work with their hands and they want to, they want to make product. You know, they didn't get into it <laughs> to be on the internet, <laughs> right? Yep. Like a lot of people get into it after spending their careers staring at a computer all day and they think, you know what? I don't want to look at this thing anymore. Exactly. But you can't forget in all of that, that the internet is there and it's, it's such an effective marketing tool. So I guess, would you say, would you kind of write down guidelines, just even for yourself? Here is what my Twitter account will be used for. Here is what our Facebook page will be used for. Just to make sure you don't, you know, say the wrong, like you're, you've done a tasting, maybe you've had a little bit yourself, and now, huh, time to tweet something out. You know, it's like, oh no, it's out there now. Right. I would do a few things. So let's assume you can't hire a social media curator to, to do your posts and manage a content calendar and all those types of things. A couple of things I tell people is first off, designate that one person in the organization to be the poster and gatekeeper, you know, versus it having having it come from this guy and that guy and the person working the counter and the person helping me do bottling, you know, having that one person. Mm-hmm. And then sitting down and going through that checklist of what you're gonna do, what you're not gonna do, really understanding that uh, those details and the spirit of your brand and saying, okay, these are the kind of things we're going to post about. These are the things we're not going to post about. Because yeah, it's so easy to say, you know what, I'm out and I'm doing this thing and I'm kind of having a good time or I think this is kind of cool. Two clicks and boom, 3,000 followers see it. So having that one person that is the designated gatekeeper, you know, putting that checklist of things that, that you want to post about, making sure what you're doing is in line with the spirit and tone of man of your brand is, is absolutely, absolutely crucial. I think that's great advice for just about anyone who gets involved on social media, and yeah, especially absolutely. for yeah, absolutely. definitely know when to stop, when to put the yeah. phone down. Exactly. Exactly. Just kind of a, a reflective question for you, since you have been in the spirits business for a very long time, worked on accounts big and small. Is there any that you are particularly proud of? I mean, I know you you probably love all the ones you've done; they're all your baby. But you know, is, is there one that you were you look back and is like, man, I nailed that one? Right. Honestly, well, we're doing some work right now. 
Can I speak to that? Is that yeah, absolutely, true? absolutely. If you can, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think they'd mind. They'll they'll call me if they do. Right. Um, <laughs> no. it means they heard I'm it. Doing, they, they... <laughs> I'm actually doing some work right now for the guys up at uh, Six and Twenty Distillery in, in Powdersville, South Carolina, which is right up there in the South Carolina Upstate. This guys that I met, I popped into the distillery and introduced myself. Just awesome guys, great product. I've been you know working with them for really about a month now. I uh, met them right around the holidays, and you know they were at that point. You know they've, they've got a lot of passion for their brand. They've got a lot of momentum in market already. So really trying to help them get to that that next level. You know, just based on the work that we've done to date for them and based on the feedback that we've gotten, I've been really, really proud of of that. And it's just kind of, you know, made me even more passionate about getting out there and working with with craft distillers. So that that one's been a lot of fun and it's really given me a lot of momentum and a lot of energy for, for doing what I do. But it's a awesome product, great guys and the fact that I've been able to kind of help them push things along in the last few weeks has has meant a lot for sure. Well, that sounds like it really connects with a lot of what you were saying about what you look for in a good brand. You know, you're energized and you're not even the producer of the thing. You know, you're yeah. you're the consultant that they've brought in, but you've seen the success that your services have brought. You see the passion that they bring and it makes you want to go out and work hard for that brand too. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that is something that I look for, you know, good people, good product, good story. You know, we can, we can do a lot of things with that, just those little things. And, and they're guys that I like to talk to. They're guys that I like to hang out with. We like to go out and have a drink. We like to poke fun at each other. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun for sure. Yeah. Just kind of a, a closing question, something I like to ask everyone that I get to interview here. Um, what's your favorite cocktail? Could you share a recipe with us? What do, what do you like to enjoy when you go out to a bar? What's that? What's your old standby? What's your go-to? Is whiskey on the rocks a cocktail? <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> yeah. It's a thing and a thing. That's a cocktail. <laughs> exactly. I like to keep it pretty simple. You know, I do like some good cocktails. I like some classic cocktails. And I really like a, a well-made old-fashioned. And that's not an easy cocktail to make. I have a lot of respect for the mixology community and the cocktail community. And I have a lot of really, really good friends that are very, very well-recognized mixologists. But I like to keep it simple. I like I like whiskey on the rocks. I like a really good gin with a splash of tonic. I like a vodka tonic. And if craft beer was a cocktail, I would put that one up there too. Very cool. So that is three parts whiskey, one part rock. If I one part ice. <laughs> if I had to suss out what your, exactly. uh, what your um, <laughs> recipe is. Yes, yeah, and pour it. gently. Okay. Yeah. Well, Tony, thank you for your time. How can people get in touch with you? Uh, it's pretty easy. Just drop me a note, Tony at b 33net Got a brand new website that I think goes live today. So yeah, just, just drop me an email, send you my cell phone number, and we'll, we'll jump on the phone. All right. Very cool. Cool. Well, Tony, thank you so much for your time today. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure chatting with you. My pleasure. <laughs>